0: I love it when we can sing scripture as we, song, as we just had the song, Psalm 23. Well, let's pray, and then we will jump into the word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus for us. We thank you also that as he ascended, the Spirit of God fell upon your church. I pray that as we open up your word today, the wonderful, beautiful, inspired Word of God, that we'll be challenged. I pray, God, that as we look at our vision, that we'll be impassioned to live it out. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series of our vision and mission and you can continue to read at the top of your bulletin what our vision and mission is, because we are highlighting specific words uh, in our vision. Last week, we ha- we highlighted proclaim, where we are to proclaim the gospel. And the week before, we highlighted the word aspiring, as we aspire to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we are going to be looking at refuge, as we are aspiring to proclaim the gospel and be A refuge, a Church of Refuge, and that's what we are titling this sermon for this morning. And I want to just make one quick caveat. I'm going to talk about messy people, and I'm going to put it in quotations because you and I are also messy. And so as I talk about the messiness of this world, and I talk about messy people, consistently remind yourself that you also are messy, that without Christ, you would be broken, lost, and lonely. And that with Christ, we are still in need of continual sanctification. So I want to tell you a story of a young man named Rob, and he would be okay with me telling this story because he tells this story often himself, and so does his wife because at the time she was his girlfriend. And and Rob was a student at the University of Pittsburgh and attended our church plant called Alethea Community Alliance Church. And I remember one Sunday, I got a phone call from his girlfriend, now wife, and she said, you know, we're not going to come to church today. Rob is absolutely drunk. And she said, you really don't want to see him in this state because he's been drinking all night and all morning. And here it was about 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning. She said, we're just not going to come. And I told her, I said, Alyssa, you need to bring Rob to church today. I don't care how crazy he's acting. I believe that he needs to come to church today. So don't be afraid. And she's like, are you, are you, I don't think you know what you're signing up for. I said, bring him to church. And he came to church and sure enough, he was really drunk. And he was, at first he was very repentant of his drunkenness and he went up to the stage, it was community, communion Sunday and he went up and was just praying for God's forgiveness and he was loud about it. But then all of a sudden something changed, and, and he, you know, in his drunkenness, he wanted to be rejected. He wanted us to push him out. He wanted us to send him away. And so he began to pretend in his drunkenness that he was demon-possessed. And I knew in my spirit this was not true. This was just him trying to leave. So I took him out into the lobby of this specific building, and I began to just speak with him and try and talk with him and, and speak truth into his life. And one of our students came and was like, is, it, is this a deliverance? Is this a, the time for, for all the training that you taught us in deliverance? Is this, is this the time? I said, no, no, it's not the time. Let's just sit with Rob. And eventually, he kind of calmed down, and I prayed that the Lord would just bring him back into the service, and him and his girlfriend, they came to the service, he sat down, and he was quiet, and he listened during the entire service. And we didn't always get it right, but our students, they didn't reject him. Uh, The members of our church, they didn't push him out, they were a little bit freaked out because it was an odd thing to happen on a Sunday morning, but they embraced him. And at the end of the service, they, him and his girlfriend came up and they said, you know what, that, we've never seen anything like that in church before. And his, his girlfriend, who was at the time an agnostic, began her journey towards Jesus that day. And she eventually accepted Christ. And Rob is doing really well right now in his life. Uh, Three years ago, he bumped into someone from our church, Allegheny Center Alliance Church, at a bus stop downtown. And he started to have a conversation with this guy. And he realized that, that this guy, Rich, had been at ACAC and said, do you know Marv? And he said, yeah, I know Marv. And he was like, you know, Marv met me and that church met me at the lowest point of my life. And now I'm on a trajectory of growth. I'm not saying that I always get it right. I'm not saying that our church plant always got it right. But in that Sunday, in that moment, we got it right. And the Lord did an incredible thing in the life of Rob. But when it comes to Sunday church, we don't encounter stories like that often. It's not a, a place that where many people would come with that type of action or attitude. They would stay away. They wouldn't feel welcome or loved. There'd be this sense of, of holding back and not joining a church or not trying to be part of a church. And I believe that needs to change if we are to be a church of refuge. If the church as we are called to be, not just our church, but the American church, the Western church in general, we have to be a place of refuge. Where we say, you know what, no matter how you come, come. Because Christ loves you. Because Jesus desires to be with you. He desires to minister to your heart. But we often don't see that because of our church's comfort, of our individual comfort in our individual fear. Rob Reamer, a a, a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance, and now he's uh, teaching at Alliance Theological Seminary full-time, he says this, he says, we often value our comfort and convenience over our character development and God's kingdom expansion. We often value our comfort and convenience over our character development and God's kingdom expansion. God desires for us to be a church of refuge for the sake of kingdom advancement, kingdom expansion. Because when people can come at their lowest moment, When they can come to a church and find refuge and love and care at their lowest, most broken moment in their life and be loved, that's transformative. That is a moment where you and I are used by the Holy Spirit of God to draw people into the kingdom of Christ, and that brings about the expansion of his kingdom. If you and I were to reflect upon Jesus and his life and his ministry, he was a person of refuge. Of course, he was both God and fully God and fully man, but he was a refuge and he was giving us an example of how we as individuals and how we as a church are to be a refuge for this world as well. And so with that, the question becomes, how do we become a church of refuge? If this is part of our vision, if this is part of our passion, if this is part of what the elders and the leaders and the staff have feel called to as we direct our church and we go with where the Lord is taking us, how do we become a refuge? So we're going to be looking at Old Testament and New Testament ideas of refuge. We're going to be looking at Numbers, Psalms, and Luke, and 1 Peter. So if you have your scriptures with you, you can open up your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Those of you who are online, it will be on your screen. First, Numbers 35, 6, it says, The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge, where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. In addition to them, you shall give 42 cities. Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Luke 4, 16 through 20. And I want you to know that this is the passage of Scripture that is driving our vision and mission. So as you listen to this, you will recognize almost all of the words that are in our vision and mission. Luke four sixteen through 20 And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And later we'll see that he says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. Luke five thirty one through 32. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And finally, first Peter two, nine through twenty through twelve. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Wow, those are some powerful passages of Scripture. And each and every one of them speaks of the idea of being a refuge. Whether it's God being a refuge, which in the Psalms, almost 59 times, 59 times the Psalms talk about the Lord as a refuge. Talking about the Lord as a stronghold that we can run to. But also we see the cities of refuge that are mentioned. We see that the Lord is our rescuer and that we are called to live out the vision and mission that Jesus himself lived out. That is important. As Jesus said, this is why I have come. And he said, the Holy Spirit will fill the church. We are to fulfill the mission of Jesus as well. And the first thing that we can notice in order to be a church that is a refuge is that the world's trash is the Lord's treasure. The world's trash is the Lord's treasure. Now again, I put trash in quotations. Because you and I need to recognize that we are no better than those who are oppressed, no better than those who are broken and lost, no better than those who have found themselves in drunken stupors, or no better than those who have been high, no better than those who are poor. We have no betterment than them. But... We need to recognize that they are treated. Many times, those who are oppressed and broken and lost and lonely, they are treated like the world's trash. But they are the Lord's treasure. The word oppressed is defined as this, to be burdened with cruel or unjust impositions or restraints, a subject of burdensome or harsh exercise of authority or power. They are pushed down, the oppressed, They are marginalized. They are set to the side. They are ignored. They are uncared for. For those who don't find themselves in the same area of oppression, we stand above many times looking down. You see, we consider even in ourselves possibly that they are the world's trash and not seeing them as the Lord's treasure. But if we are to live out what we are called to, to live out. As individuals and as a church, we must see each and every individual as the Lord's treasure. Someone who is to be loved, someone who is to be cared for, someone who is to be welcomed in. That should be our heart, for it was the heart of Jesus himself. Jesus again declares this truth And I believe that Jesus is declaring this, that the Lord is the key to freedom that unlocks the door of oppression. He is saying that if you follow me, the door of oppression will be unlocked. You will be able to walk out of that oppression. Now, your state and your status may never change. But as the body of believers, as we are led by the Lord, we can bring them into fellowship. Those who maybe we would have ignored or marginalized or pushed away ourselves, we can bring them into fellowship and say, you know what, we are going to break the yoke of oppression upon you. We are going to walk with you. We are going to love you. We are going to be a people, individuals, and a church of refuge for all. Despite where people may find themselves, that is what we are called to do. Pastor Rock, a a great mentor of mine in preaching from Allegheny Center Alliance Church, he always says this statement Many times we often pretend like our poo doesn't stink. I know that's a little bit harsh, but it's true. We need to recognize that we are no better than anyone else in the world because at the foot of the cross we are all equal. And in order for us to be a refuge, we need to capture that, and we need to recognize that you and I can be the key used by the Lord to unlock the door of oppression. The Greek word that Jesus used for liberty in verse 18 is Ephesus, and it can also mean a release or forgiveness, as we are people who bring liberty to the world. There can be a release, and we can show them the love of Christ. Where they might think that they are not good enough to be loved by anyone, we can prove them wrong. Where the world would say, you are so bad, you are so horrible, you have lived such a terrible life, no one could ever love you. And many of them have been told that in their life. Maybe you yourself have been oppressed with the belief that you could never be loved. But if we are to be a people of refuge, if we are to live out the gospel truth of what Jesus says, we as individuals and we corporately as a church are to live, we are to love, we are to care for, we are to bring into fellowship, and we are to bring release from the pain that is in their life. You and I can be used by the Holy Spirit of God to be a healing balm to those who are hurting. Jesus himself said that was his mission. It should also be our mission. This helps keep everything in focus for us because we need to recognize we also are messed up and we cannot be a refuge for others unless we first acknowledge our own need of a refuge. Listen, you and I need the Lord. I need you. Every hour, I need you. Those aren't just really nice lyrics in a song. It's the fact and reality of our life on earth. Because in our humanity, we could never, ever, ever succeed at what Christ has called us to do. We saw this two weeks ago in the the view of aspiring, that we need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Listen, the vision and mission that God has called us to as a church cannot be done without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. Without surrender, you and I can never be a refuge for anyone because many times we won't think that we need a refuge. We will forget of our own need of salvation our own need of sanctification but when we keep that in mind we can be a refuge for others because we will look at others and say I am no better I too need a refuge I too need to run to the Lord so let me show you where the Lord is in my life let me share with you the experience that I've had of the Lord being a refuge for me the oppression that I was under from the enemy and Satan sin and this oppression of death I no longer have to fear any of that because the Lord is my salvation. Amen? And when we recognize our need of a refuge, we can be a refuge for others. Because as believers, we are not just supposed to have a refuge in the Lord. We are to be a refuge for others. We are to be a refuge for others. It is a call upon the believer's life. But often, often we don't live into that. Often I don't live into that. Often our church does not live into that. I would venture to say, that at least half of us in this room, half of us in our church, if a Rob came into church on a Sunday, there would be all kinds of pain and struggle to love that person. There would be the sense of, maybe I don't want to come to church today. Maybe I should just walk away from that person rather than engaging them and loving them where they are. Now, I say that, I, I really believe that's true And so we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of surrender to do to the Lord in order to be a people who are a refuge. We can love that person. We can care for that person. We can invite them into fellowship. It's important for us to see our need to be a refuge as individuals and as a church. The Great Commission is our mission to go into all the world, but we do that empowered by the Holy Spirit and also willing to engage the messiness of the world. Because when we engage with messy people, messy people will come into church, but we're already messy. So let's welcome them. (laughs) Where no one is perfect, no church is perfect, no person is perfect. We are to draw those who need Christ through our love. The next thing that we can see is that as believers, we should seek to engage the broken, not ignore them. Seek to engage the broken, not ignore them. In those Old Testament passages in Leviticus specifically, we see this call for the priests to, to build cities of refuge, where the manslayer, someone who accidentally killed someone, can run to the church and be a refuge have a refuge and safety until things can be looked into, until the courts can look at all the, the, the evidence of what happened, and they can go and claim sanctuary. Maybe you've seen that in the old, uh, in the old church in, in England and all these different places. You see someone running into the, the church and saying, sanctuary, sanctuary, because it's a place of refuge. It was a story that we already recognized in the Old Testament. Then, and the, the priests, the Levites, they were called to be the people who ministered to the entirety of Israel. They were the ones who brought the sacrifices. They were the ones who did constant prayer. They were the ones who burnt incense as a presence, example of the presence of God. It was their call to love everyone. And also, we look at the scriptures in Leviticus and we understand what the cities of refuge are. They are also cities of refuge for the sojourner, the person who found themselves as an alien in the Israel land. Those who might have been marginalized and pushed aside because they might have been Gentiles, because they might have been living a sinful lifestyle, the the cities of refuge were for that person. Now, do you think that was convenient for the Levites to have to deal with all of this mess, to have to deal with a manslayer who they're not sure if he actually was a murderer or not, but they're supposed to be a refuge to wait and find out? That's not convenient. And dealing with people who are oppressed and broken and lost and lonely and living into that. It's not convenient. But you and I are called to do so. I love what A.B. Simpson says. He says this. Oh, that every consecrated heart, every circle of professed holiness might be a city of refuge. Where poor sinners would know that they would ever find a welcome. This is the service to which Christ is calling his consecrated people, the church. You and I are called to be a refuge. Why is that true? Why can I say that with conviction? Because in that passage of 1 Peter, you and I as the church are called priests. Each and every one of us are called priests in the kingdom of God. And if we are called priests in the kingdom of God, we have the call of the Levites, priests, to be a refuge for those who are hurting, for those who are sojourners, for those who might be marginalized, for those who are willing to admit their brokenness. Because many times you and I, in our brokenness, we want to hide it because we want to put on a veneer of safety, of goodness, but inside we're in all kinds of turmoil. You see, the church should be a safe place. The church should be the refuge. That is the call upon our lives as the holy priesthood of Christ. This is our call. This is what we are directed to by Christ, by the Old Testament, by the New Testament. The church is supposed to welcome the stranger, not shun them. Were to welcome the stranger and not shun them, not push them away. As someone who comes into our doors or into our life, many times it's easy to push that person away and say, I don't really have time to deal with you. I don't really have resources to help you. But many times... People, and you've experienced this in your own brokenness, I'm sure. Many times we just need someone to sit with us. To be with us. You know, many times as a pastor, I always feel like I have to have something to say. Right? When someone comes and they're like, oh, I'm really broken. Oh, my marriage is in shambles. What should I do? And There's always this sense of, well, I have to have the answer. Man, if I don't have the answer, it's going to just continue to spiral down and then it's going to be my fault. But really... What that person is craving is someone to just sit with them. To be the presence of Jesus in the midst of their brokenness. Jesus experienced all kinds of temptations. The same amount of temptations that you and I have experienced. He experienced suffering, pain, and loss, betrayal. He was beaten and broken. He understands our suffering. He understands our pain. And he rests with us in it. And so you and I can be the presence of Christ in the lives of those who are broken and lonely and lost and hurting. And sometimes we just need to sit with them. Are we going to make ourselves available if someone says, hey, can I please spend some time with you? Will we do it? That is what we are called to do. But why do we not often do this? I think that we have a problem, myself included, as as Western Christians, that we don't do this often. As churches, we don't do this well. Why? I believe it boils down to two things, fear and comfort. Because we're afraid of, well, if I invite that person in, are they going to steal my money? If I invite that person in, are they going to drag me down with them? Are they going to hurt me somehow, some way? And so we say, well, it's not even worth trying. I'm afraid of it. But then there's also that comfort level. You know, it was not comfortable when Rob was screaming and shouting and pretending to be demon-possessed. I mean, we did have to move him out of a specific space as he was doing that. But we sat with him. We spent time with him. We prayed over him. And it changed and transformed his life because prayer works. Because love works works we cannot live in fear we cannot live in our comfort i really believe that pride hinders the christian's love of the stranger because it all boils down to pride i'm better than and my comfort does not need to be hindered i'm better than and so i don't need to to live in this fear i can walk away and just be safe You know what, I don't know if you've recognized, but if you read your Bible, Christianity is not safe. It's not safe. It's a dangerous, dangerous belief system. Why? Because we will be persecuted. There's a promise that says, hey, you know what? God is going to bring rewards, but he's also going to allow persecution to your life. People will not like you. We're called to be a refuge for the broken while in our our own comfort level, in our own freedom as Americans, we're like, no, I can be free not to deal with you. But we're called to be that. It's a dangerous, scary thing, but when we give up to the Lord, and say, I'm going to be surrendered. He will take care of us. We cannot live in pride. A.B. Simpson once said this. He said, what is the principal thing that hinders our love from going out to other people? It is our abominable pride. You measure yourself with them and seem in your own eyes better than they. Measure yourself with God instead and learn how, to, how you appear in His sight. When you spend time with the Lord and say, okay, how did I appear before I came to Christ in your sight? Where is the murkiness and the messiness and the brokenness in my own life that I need you to allow to bring healing? That will bring humility for us to look at the world. You see, these words weren't just something that A.B. Simpson spouted off. If you know the history of our Christian and Missionary Alliance, and he, A.B. Simpson, is the founder of the movement, the roots go back to people, This, this man choosing to work with the oppressed and the broken. He was a Presbyterian pastor before CMA was developed, and in New York, he was at one of the wealthiest churches in the city. It was like 500, 600 people, and that was a big church for that day. And they were wealthy. And they were one of those those people that bought a pew, you know, that those churches that said, "I just spent four hundred thousand dollars to have this pew for myself." Right? It was that type of church. And he went down to the docks in New York City and spent time with Irish and Italian immigrants. And he would bring the, the truth of the gospel to them. And they, they were first generation; they could barely speak the the the, the, the intelligible English that, that we were speaking in America at the time but he would go and he would preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit used him to bring hundreds to Jesus. And what would happen is they would follow him to his church. They'd say, okay, wow, this guy really loves us. We're gonna go to your church. And eventually his church got tired of it, sick of it. They said, you know what, A.B., it's either you or them. What are you gonna choose? It's either our church or the immigrants. Where are you going? And they thought they had him because he was a really, really well-paid pastor, And he said, it's them. And he left the church and he began the gospel tabernacle in New York where hundreds and hundreds of people came to Christ and were empowered for missions. And it became a missions movement. You see, the roots of our church are in the aspect of loving the broken, going to those who seemingly are unlovely. That is our history. That is who we began as, but we have lost our way in our denomination in many ways. We need to get back to being churches of refuge. The church is meant to be the safest place for the broken. The church is meant to be the safest place for the broken, but often it is the opposite. It is the least safe place for the broken to go. It is seemingly the least safe place for the oppressed to go because they find even more judgment. They find even more oppression from the judging looks of those in churches today. Where someone who would come and they might smell like alcohol or they might smell like cigarette smoke even. And there's this sense of, oh, I don't know. They're smoking outside. Huh? You know what, Pastor? There's someone out there smoking. He looks kind of weird. Can we just kick him off the... Kick him out. In this very church, I was asked that very thing. That broke my heart. Because who cares if they're smoking? Who cares if they're high or drunk? Are they coming to church? Are they seeking Jesus? Because there's something that they desperately know they need? Man, we should welcome them. Because they recognize their brokenness. They recognize their need. And that's why Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. He wasn't saying to the Pharisees that you don't need the Lord. He was saying, you don't recognize you need the Lord, but these people do recognize they need the Lord, and so I'm going to minister to them because you're a waste of my time because you think you're great, you think you're awesome, and you're not willing to bend. You're not willing to admit that you're messed up. And so I'm going to spend time with the broken. And he spent time with prostitutes, liars, cheats, thieves, ethnically pushed aside people. And he was called a sinner for it. He was marginalized himself and rejected for spending time with those people. The Pharisees looked upon Jesus with derision and said, Oh, he's not a prophet. Look at who he hangs out with. Oh, man. But he was the greatest prophet, he's the greatest priest, he's the greatest king, he was the Messiah. And if we say that we are followers of Jesus, we need to follow him where the prostitutes and the cheats and the liars and the ethnically marginalized and the poor and the broken, that's where we need to tread. Are we doing it? I think that we as a church individually, us as myself included individually, and the American church and Western church as a whole have a lot of work to do. We are called to be a church and called to be a people of refuge. And finally, I believe in order to become a church of refuge, we must remember that the church is the sanctuary for the sick. The church is the sanctuary for the sick. Because broken people recognize their brokenness. It's those that don't think that they're broken that miss the reality and the depth of their own brokenness. You and I, we shouldn't come to church expecting this idea of of, having some type of inoculation to make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. We should come to church saying, I need to meet with Jesus. We should go to our devotional time saying, I need to meet with Jesus Because I'm broken. I'm hurting. We need to walk in honesty. We need to walk in recognition of our own desperate need for the Lord. And so when we come to church, we come saying, you know what? I need the healing touch of Jesus. Every Sunday, you and I need the healing touch of Jesus because something would have happened in our week that we need to pursue his face and pursue his presence. And we should be pursuing his face and his presence in all aspects of our lives. This is not a clinical checkup. This is for people who recognize their need. And we all desperately, myself, the elders, the staff, we all desperately need the Lord. Comfort cannot be our king. Pride should not rule our steps. The church must be a welcome, safe, and healing place for the lost, the lonely, the broken, and the oppressed. That is what we are called to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you so much for how you loved us, how when we were far from you, you made us a people through Jesus, through the death of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, through the love that you lavished upon us. We were drawn into your kingdom. Father, I pray that we will also be a people who seek to bring people to Christ. For we are beggars who found the bread and we should go to the other beggars and bring them to the bread of life. May fear and comfort not be our gods. May you be our God.